Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning to those of you who are warm and cozy in your living room. Good morning to all of the radicals at the gallery in Davidson. And good morning to all of the crazy people right here in Concord. So grab your copy of God's Word. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. So I I had gotten out on Facebook as part of this Songs of Christmas series. And I had been talking about that I wanted to preach on uh, loss. And, and so I'm actually going to punt that until next week. That message is just so strong on my heart. So uh, Tuesday, I think I just started preparing two messages. And um, so this is the one I was going to do next week, and we're just going to flip-flop. But again, if you have somebody in your life that is walking through a season of loss, I highly encourage you, because we don't talk about those things at Christmas. I want to encourage you to, to invite them to sit with you next Sunday. Um, but I want to talk to you about another kind of obscure Christmas song. Um, so, like, in Christmas, you know, you have your, your best hits. Your, uh, in fact, I, I, I looked and, and went and saw, like, the, the top Christmas songs, um, and, and uh, we're, we're looking at some of those, and then I was looking at some of the other, like, more obscure Christmas songs, and, and this is, the song I'm going to preach to you about this morning is, is like, a, a more obscure song. It's, it's Simeon's song, and we'll get to that song in just a moment. So if you remember Christmas as a child, like just about everything of the Christmas season was, was exciting, right? You had uh, looking forward to there being no school, you had presents, you had going to grandma's house, you had all of these amazing things. And I think the only challenge as a kid uh, for Christmas was the waiting. Right? It was just, it was, it was the waiting. And so we've invented these things to help. I don't know if this helps or hurts, but it's like your Christmas countdown calendar. Do you have one of these at your house? Do you have a, a Christmas, some way to count it down? When I was growing up, it was just the, it was the little windows that you opened on, on a little piece of cardboard. That's what it was. Uh, we have two versions in the Wither Up household now. We've got uh, a Santa chalkboard and Santa counts down. And this is, so let me, let me just ask you this. Um, so this goes from one to 24. If you had this in your house, how many of you would start on 24 and count down? How many of you would start on one and go up? And you would be correct because you read top to bottom, left to right, and only a few of you got that answer wrong. Not that there's a right or wrong, but this is right. So you would go, you would actually, this is a Christmas, this is actually a Christmas count up. Because, but here's, here's what I was thinking about this week. When it comes to waiting and Christmas, like waiting is impossibly hard as a, as a child. And me and my brother, when we were waiting, we did Christmas Eve at my grandmother's. And Christmas Eve, that day just, it, it felt like it never ended. And so we would come up with these different things. Like I would eat every Christmas Eve. I know this is strange, but I would eat a container of yogurt with a toothpick. Just to like, you know, this was before, this was before electronic devices and, and a lot of that. So we just found ways to entertain ourselves. But I, I was thinking about this. What, it, what, if, what if this thing was never ending? Like the thing about waiting for Christmas is it may seem like a long time, but you have a date. 
You have, an, you have an end date. What if this thing was like 22, 23, 24, infinity symbol? Like what if, you did, what if you didn't know? And I started thinking about that in light of God's promises. Because a lot of times if we're honest, that's the way God's promises feel. Like we know that God has promised us certain things. We just have no idea. It feels like, it feels like God is just saying infinity. And so I want to preach this message to somebody that's not necessarily waiting for Christmas, but you're waiting for your promise. You're waiting for your healing. You're waiting for a miracle. You're waiting for, for an answer to prayer. And I want to go uh, to the song of Simeon this morning because maybe you feel like the Narnians felt like it's always winter and never Christmas. God, when, when is this thing going to happen? Luke chapter 2. We're going to fast forward a little bit in the Christmas narrative. You're going to have to work with me because at this point the Messiah has already been born. Um, so this is post, post the, the nativity, uh, but I think it will speak to us this morning. Verse 25. At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon and he was righteous and devout and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and he had revealed to him that he would, that he would not die. Do you, do you see that? Like that was the unending promise. So God's got some, God's like, Simeon, I got something for you. And Simeon like, is like, that's awesome. And God's like, no, this is incredible. Like this is all, Simeon, all of the prophets you read, like when you read Ezekiel, when you read Isaiah, when you read Jeremiah, when you read, when you read Habakkuk, when you, all of those promises, Simeon, this was the ultimate promise. So Simeon's getting all excited and he's saying, God, when is this going to happen? And he just says, ah, before you die. Like, and that's the way, if we're honest, that's the way God's promises feel sometimes, right? Like, God, I know you're going to do, I know you're going to give me a job. When's it going to happen? Before you die. God, I be, I'm, believing for my, I'm believing great things for my children. When am I going to see it? Not before you die. Like, that's what it, it feels like this infinity, infinity type thing. And, and, and so I think that an expiration, here's the thing that we have to realize. Expiration dates on God's promises are misleading labels. I was, I was flying back from Orlando and I was watching, um, not a not a great not a great flyer, um, <laughs> and when I when I mean that, when I say that I, I I mean like I start making sure everything in my life is right with Jesus before I get on an airplane. <laughs> I know that's horrible theology, but I just don't like being that high uh, above the ground, and so like I'll <laughs> I'll read into everything. Like, so I was flying back and. And all the flights were delayed coming out of Orlando because there were these bad storms. And so I got on a standby list so I could slip in. And I actually got on the, the list. And so I was excited about that. And as I'm walking on a plane, somebody that texts me, oh, I'd say maybe a, a few times a year, but it's not on a regular basis, texted me and it said, I'm praying for you right now. And that may have brought you comfort. It brought me fear. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, here's what I said. It's like, anything specific? <laughs> like, if you have a word that this plane is going down, tell me now. I'm like, so I'm like misreading, you know, and I get on, that, I get on there and, and they're, they're trying to be all calm about it. But yeah, we're expecting lots of turbulence and and I'm like, oh my goodness, so uh, I can't read during turbulence. Really what I do is uh, 
I pray in the spirit a lot on airplanes, that's what I do. And so I was up in the, uh, I've got staff members that are shaking their heads because they've seen, they've witnessed this firsthand. And, and, and so I was up there and I'm like, um, there was, I'm scrolling through, I got to watch something, I got to distract my mind. And there was a food documentary on, I know it sounds super exciting, but that's what nerds do. We don't watch movies, we watch documentaries. So it was a documentary about food. And I won't go through the whole thing. It was a really interesting documentary. But one of the things talked about labels. And they said that actually the, these labels that say best before. Have you seen this on your, on your cheese or on your meat? Best used by. Do you know that that is actually one of the most misleading labels in the food industry? And that does not mean that your food is expired. That simply has to do with the pe person that made the cheese saying, I want to sell more cheese. So if you have that in your refrigerator, we would prefer that you threw it away so we could sell you more product. Much of the food in your refrigerator that you think is expired is not expired. Do you know what they said that actually one of the best tests is? The sniff test. It's your nose. Like, that, like if it smells okay, eat it. Now if you get sick, don't come back to your preacher. Pray over it too. Do something like that. But, but expiration dates or what we read as expiration dates, a lot of time are not expiration dates. And I just want to preach that over somebody's promise this morning because for somebody, the enemy has put a false expiration date on your promise. And you thought, I thought this was going to happen by last Christmas. I thought this was going to happen by July. I thought my Occupy word was already going to happen by now. And what God is saying is there are no expiration dates on the promises of God. Come on, if you believe that, even in your living room, somebody, somebody shout in your kitchen this morning. Snow expiration dates. So the day the Spirit led him to the temple, it's a good thing to follow those promptings of the Spirit. Amen. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, are, are you ready? Simeon had spent his entire life writing this song. He'd spent many lonely nights thinking, when I finally get my promise, this is what I'm going to say. Because you got to rehearse things in your life like you already got them. I, I, I know you're still waiting, but you got to, in your imagination, you got to say, God, when this thing gets dropped into my life, I'm going to release this song. And so Simeon had been waiting a long time to release this song. And he said, this is my moment. Spotlight on. Give me a microphone. Here I go. And Simeon started to sing. And he said, sovereign Lord, now, now after all these years, God, I can die. Let your servant die in peace as you have promised because I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all the people. See, what was God doing all this time? God was preparing. What's God doing in your life right now? He's preparing you. I know it's not fun. I know you want it now. I know you're growing impatient. I know other people got their promise before you did, and it's making you battle a little bit of envy and jealousy. But God is, prepa God is preparing He's preparing. He is a light, he goes on to say. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. And, and I think that one of the things while we're waiting, while we're anticipating, I think that one of the things that we can battle sometimes is it feels like we don't have control. 
That's what it comes down to, isn't it? Like if God would say, hey, I know you're walking through this health challenge, but on January the 2nd at 345 in the morning, you're not going to have that health challenge anymore. How many of you could walk through that for, for a season? Because here's the thing, when you don't know when God is going to bring you an answer, it feels, it feels like you felt like you were sliding down even in four-wheel drive when you were sliding down Old Salisbury Concord getting to the church this morning. A little bit out of, out of control, right? And so many things, so many things in your life are out of your control. The weather is out of your control control. Everybody said amen. The stock market is out of your control. And everybody said amen. How other people treat you are, is uh, many times out of your control. Many times your situation is out of your control. And when things get out of control, we get nervous. But listen to this this morning, just because something is out of your control doesn't mean that your life has to be out of control. You have control over more in your life than you think you do. This is what the Bible says in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Do you want the Holy Spirit? Do you want everything that he has for you? This is what, this is what the Holy Spirit has for you. He's got love. He's got joy. He's got peace. He's got patience. He's got kindness. He's got goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And are you ready? You got control. You got control over yourself. And everybody's like, I don't want control over myself. I want control over my boss. I want control over my children. And I want control over everybody else in traffic. And I want control over the North Carolina Department of Transportation so that they'll fix the road by my house. And I want control over when I'm going to get a raise. And I want control over how other people treat me. Are you with me? Am I the only one? See, I love, I, I tell you often, I am a firstborn OCD, little bit of a control freak. And so I like control. I often tell Camden, if people would just let me be in charge of their lives, I would make it better for them. But God has not given me control over your life. He's given me control over my life. And I'm just being honest, sometimes I don't want to control my life. Because it feels better if I'm in control of you and not in control of me. And sometimes we think, sometimes we tend to have a tendency, did you read all of the other fruits of the Spirit? All of those things are positive. If you have joy, that's positive. If you have peace, that's positive. If you have kindness, that's positive. So why do we think of self-control as negative? So self-control, that just means I refrain from something. I want to wave at somebody in the Concord Mills parking lot and not use all of my fingers, but I'm going to have self-control. My four-year-old needs to learn that biting is not an appropriate measure of communication. He needs or she needs self-control. I will not have the third brownie at 10 o'clock. I will not have the third brownie. Joe, I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me when I was out on that Spartan workout. I will not have. And so we think of, oh, I want joy. I want peace. I want kindness. I don't know if I want self-control. Because self-control doesn't seem fun. But actually, self-control, can I spin this for you? Self-control is more positive than you think it is. 
Self-control means that you have control over yourself. We're going to rehearse this. I need you to repeat after me, even in your living rooms. Come on, Concord, lead the way. Say this. Say, I have control over myself. I have control over my emotions. I have control over my joy. I have control over my attitude. Say that again. I have control over my attitude. Preach it like it's Wednesday. I have control over my attitude. See, doesn't that feel good? You got more control. Tell your neighbor I'm in control. Tell your neighbor I'm the boss of me. I know, I know oftentimes in the waiting and God, when is this going to happen? And, and I don't have, everybody else is treating me this way and I don't have control over this situation. I wish this person at work would be nicer to me and I wish, I wish the coach would treat me differently on my, my basketball team and I wish the, the, the teacher would allow me to be doing extra credit and I, and I wish the exam date would be pushed away just two more days. And there's so many things in life that you don't have control of. But here's the way, can I give you a secret to joy and peace? Don't don't worry about the things that you can't control. Worry about the things that you can control. And if you can do something about it, do something about it. But you, if you can't, don't worry about it. It's in God's hands. You control, you control you. You control you. And I love, I loved Simeon, how he exercised self-control. Because in this season of waiting years and decades, I love how the Bible describes Simeon. At an old age, did you catch this verse? He was righteous and devout and eagerly waiting. Y'all, that is a whole lot better than if it would have said he was grumpy and bitter and had lost all hope. And I don't know about you, but when God finds me ready to receive the things that he has promised to me, I want to be like Simeon. I want, a Simeon, I, want to preach, I want to preach a Simeon spirit to you. I want you to receive a Simeon spirit that in every situation in the middle of the waiting that you're going to be righteous and devout and eagerly waiting. You're, going to be, you're, not, going to, you're not losing hope. You're not getting bitter. You're not going to try to control things that you, you're going to be righteous and devout and eagerly waiting. Grow in righteousness. These are, these are three things that you can control. Jot these down. You can grow in righteousness. Righteousness is a judicial word. It simply means that you have right standing with God. You have right standing with God. It's, a, it's this legal term of Either you're in right standing with the law or you're not. Now, here's the bad news and then the good news. The bad news is that the Bible clearly says there is none righteous, no, not one. And so oftentimes we feel that even after we've accepted Jesus, the enemy will say, you're still not righteous. You're still not, still not good enough. The reason you haven't received your promise is because of the sin that you committed 22 and a half years ago, and, and the Lord's remembering that, and that's why, you're, and it's, you're not righteous, you're not righteous, but the Bible says, so the Bible says there is none righteous, no preacher, no theologian, no, no humanitarian, no, but no, none of us are, are righteous, but then I love what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it is because of 
him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God that is our righteousness and holiness and redemption. So here it is. Watch this. As soon as you say yes to Jesus, I don't care how you feel. God as the judge. See, when a judge declares you innocent, when a judge declares you not guilty, he doesn't say, hey, how are your emotions he says, I declare this, boom, that's the way it is, like it or not, you're free. And that's the way we have to receive that as a believer. Because the enemy will lie to you, other people will lie to you, your own emotions sometimes are your worst enemy, your, own emo your heart will lie to you, your head will lie to you, your, your mirror will lie to you, you'll lie to yourself, all of these things. And you got to say, this isn't a matter of my emotions, this is a matter that God is the righteous judge and he has declared in heaven that because you said yes to the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible on the authority of the word of God declares that you are righteous and you can grow in your righteousness. The second thing is that you can grow in being devout. Do you think of maybe the same thing that I think of when you hear the word devout? A lot of times it's uh, he, was a, he was a devout Catholic or he was a, a devout and then it'll give you know a, a, a title of a, a branch of Christianity, a devout Catholic. And so when we think of being devout, maybe you think of... Um, uh, you, you never miss a service or maybe but it's more like you're quiet and you don't disrupt things. I'm very, I'm very devout, maybe even cautious. He's a very devout person. He's kind of he's cautious, doesn't want to mess, mess anything up, just kind of re very reverent. And, and I started looking into what the word devout means. And uh, sometimes the word devout is translated as cautious, but actually I don't think that's a very good translation at all. Can I give you the two root words of the, of the word devout? The first part is what means well or means good. And then the second part means to aggressively lay hold of. Aggressively lay hold of. Like when you're watching the football game this afternoon and it's in bad weather and the running back fumbles the ball and everybody is diving on top of that ball, those are some devout people on the bottom of the pile. Because it is not, if you've ever played football, you understand that it is not necessarily the first person who gets the ball that is the one that's going to come out of that pile with the ball. It is the one who aggressively lays hold of, and I don't know what goes on on the bottom of that pile. There may be some biting through face masks, if that's possible, or some twisting, or to aggressively lay hold of aggressively lay hold of that's the kind of believer I want to be that's the kind of Christian that I want to be I want to be devout if God's got something for me then I want to aggressively lay hold of it I want to go after everything that God has for me and then the final thing this morning as the band comes is to grow in your expectation grow in your expectation Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.